Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. If you want to hear the show, you can find it on Family Life Radio. If you want to find a station near you, you can go to myflr.org or stream it online. Anxiety is contagious. It's likely affecting your kids, distracting you in the present, making you feel like it'll define your family's future. We have Sissy Goff with us. She's the Director of Child and Adolescent Counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries. She co-hosts the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. She's the author of 13 books. And her latest, Worry-Free Parent, Living in a Confidence, Living in Confidence So Your Kids Can Too. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Sissy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be with y'all. Pretty uh, big topic. Before we get to that, love to know a little bit about you. Yes. So I am in Nashville, Tennessee. And as you said, I work at a place called Dacer Counseling, where I've been working with kids and families for 30 years. I can't even believe I'm old enough to have done anything for 30 years. (laughs) But really honored and grateful to get to do this work. And out of that, have been able to write some books and speak and have our own podcast and just um, honored to get to be helping kids and families in several different capacities. And I have the pleasure of working every day with my co-therapist, who is my little dog, Lucy, who is sitting right beside me. Y'all might hear snoring at some point. So, Well, uh, Sally has a co-host in her room, too, right, Sally? I have two co-hosts right beside me as well. And Oh, good. Sally, what kind are yours? They're two rescues, so just mixed breed dogs, and we love them to death. And yesterday, they got skunked. <laughs> It takes Can forever I just tell to get you? that out, doesn't it? Yes. It uh, changed the whole day yesterday. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I no fun. Exhausted. Yeah. They're just Aww. laid out over here. Well, sp- uh, speaking of causing anxiety. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, just curious, you know, why is... Why do you think anxiety is the primary mental health problem facing kids and teens today? There are a lot of reasons we could talk about. I mean, if we only isolated technology, that would certainly be enough. Can you all imagine? I mean, I can't fathom growing up with technology and especially with social media. And so Mm -hmm. I definitely think that is a very plausible reason that it's going on. But also in all these years of working with kids and families, I've never seen pressure as high from every different standpoint. I mean, academically, athletically, artistically, in all the extracurriculars, I think kids are inundated with pressure today. And then another primary facet I would mention would be that not only is anxiety on the rise among kids, but it is among parents. And and so I'm seeing parents very unknowingly use parenting strategies that I think are are very much meant to help that are only honestly making things worse for their mm. kids. You know, that reminds me, my wife and I were just talking about this yesterday. The county that we moved from in Indiana uh, before we moved to Arizona, uh, she was just remarking how high the child suicide rate was. And you're talking about mm. pressure. I got to tell you guys, the pressure to perform in this particular school district is off the chart, but it's not just the school district, it's the community. You know, it's you have to drive the right car, you have to have successful kids. And so I was like, I kind of get it. I mean, it makes, mm. it makes sense when you're under that much pressure to perform and you can't handle that. Uh, yeah, I get that. So how have you seen 
anxiety, uh, you know, increase amongst the children that you're counseling? Well, it, I mean, it really has exponentially. We wrote a book about eight years ago, and the statistics then were one in eight kids were dealing with anxiety. Now we're looking at one in four kids, one in three adolescents. And girls are twice as likely as boys to deal with it. And fascinatingly enough, boys are actually taken to get help more, which we could talk about that in just a second. But among parents, the statistics are exactly the same now. It's one in three with women twice as likely. Mm. And so it is significantly on the rise in our world. I was uh, very interested to to read, you know, that anxiety is contagious. And I would think that could be a problem in families. <laughs> yeah. Yes. How, how do you see that yes. playing out there? Is that the case? It is definitely the case. And it's interesting. I mean, in my counseling office, I think every single day I hear a story of a parent who says, you know, my child got really anxious and we can talk about this too. But but part of what's happening in those moments is the blood flow in any of our brains when we get anxious is shifting and the blood is leaving the prefrontal cortex, which helps us think rationally and manage our emotions. And it's going to the amygdala that we all know is the fight or flight region of our brain. And so Parents will say, my child's like a crazy person when they get to that place. Well, right, because their thinking brain isn't even functioning Mm. at that point. But I really believe there's something that happens in those moments where it's like, if one amygdala gets tripped, everybody in the families does. So the child's spinning out and screaming. All of a sudden, the parents find themselves screaming too. And so everybody's functioning from this really anxious place, which... We all know none of us get to a healthy, productive conversation when everybody's operating out of their amygdala. So even from a scientific standpoint, it has a remarkable ability to spread. But but also, I think there are things that we do emotionally out of that anxiety that impact the kids we love, too. Do you think there are common denominators and and not necessarily specific just to kids, but Uh, in people who battle anxiety? Yes, I love that you asked that question because, (laughs) you know, before this book, I wrote a book for parents about kids dealing with anxiety to help them. And then I've written two books for kids. And and I don't know how many thousands of people I've seen dealing with anxiety at this point, but every single child I've ever seen is really bright. They're really conscientious. They're trying really hard. They care deeply. They're the coolest kinds of kids. And I would say the same is 100% true among parents. It's parents who are well-intentioned, well-meaning, doing their absolute best to be all all that they can be with the kids in their life. And so out of all of that care, we just get tripped up sometimes and the anxiety takes over. Yeah. So how do you recognize that it's anxiety that the parents are manifesting? Um, Like you said, you know, it's, it's happening back here, which means we're not thinking a lot. Right. It's it seems <laughs> to me we're just reacting. So how do we the like work? Yeah, how do we like see that in ourselves as parents in order to begin correcting it? Or can we? Well, I, it's confusing. Yes, because mm-hmm. I think vigilance is required for any parent, and hypervigilance is when we move into anxiety. And so the the oh, okay. differentiation between the two, I think, is really hard. But but what I would say to parents, I mean, a couple of things to watch out for. I think one is when it feels like your emotion is either bigger than your child's in that moment, mm. or bigger than the situation warrants is one thing to look out for. 
And another would be the way I talk about it in my office a lot is that it's like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. You know, all of us have hundreds of what are considered intrusive thoughts every single day. So worst case scenario thoughts, that was a stupid thing I just said types of thoughts. And when we're not anxious, those thoughts come in and they go right back out. But when we have anxiety, the thought comes in and it gets stuck in that loop over and over and over. And so if you notice, it's not just thinking, huh, I hope my 17-year-old got to their friend's house. Instead, if you're thinking, I hope they got there. Oh, no, they haven't got there. Oh, no, I'm going to check the GPS right now. I can't tell where (laughs) they are. And we're just looping around. That's probably an indicator. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. And then I guess we need to talk about, um, and I think we'll get to that, is how do we control ourselves? Um, right. I, and I, I want, but first I wanted to grab onto something that you said, because my experience growing up was my mother, love you, mom, really do, uh, used to take on the responsibility of getting my younger sister to school on time. And how that looked was kind of a miserable morning. Every morning, yeah, you got to get out of bed. You got to do this. You got to do that. And it was just this, I'm going to use a word, haranguing of my sister (laughs) all through school. And I thought, wow, you know, how do we switch that responsibility back on to our kids? It seems more appropriate. Mm, Haranguing. Yes, yes. I know exactly what (laughs) you you mean. I like that word. Yes. And I think that's happening all over our world that parents are doing that in the mornings. And Mm -hmm. the hard part of it is, I think the answer, the primary answer to how we stop doing those things is we let kids live with consequences. Mm -hmm. And so we let them be late to school and deal with having to go to Saturday school or whatever the consequences that are baked into their school system. But I think what's hard is... I'm seeing more parents than ever before who are probably overcompensating for what they feel like their parents missed. So my parents weren't paying attention. I was in a lot of emotional distress. They didn't understand what was going on with me. So now I'm not only going to pay attention, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to rescue them. I don't want them to have to deal with consequences. In the book, I talk about five parents I'm seeing the most, and it's it's obviously we know helicopter parents who are hovering, trying to take care of everything for their kids backhoe parents who are trying to prevent and stop any mistakes from happening, cleaning up after them all the time, bulldozer parents paving the road ahead of them, sidecar parents. I don't know if y'all remember Adam West and Batman. Yeah. But, you know, like, I mean, I remember a mom saying to me, I was so anxious when I was growing up. And I know that's what's going on with her when, in fact, that wasn't what was going on with her at all. But the mom was displacing her emotions. And then the last would be parade float parents. So, I don't want my kids to feel sad or go through anything hard. So I'm just going to make it fun and happy all the time. And so I think that's what you're talking about rather than Mm -hmm. letting kids sit in discomfort because discomfort creates flexibility. It creates resilience. And it's so hard for parents to watch, especially the good parents who are trying hard that we're talking about, which is what your mom was doing, too. She Mm -hmm. was doing the best she knew how to do. That's right. I, right. I love the uh, illustration with construction equipment. That was great. Um, <laughs> I have a four-year-old nephew right now, so I'm just thinking about that a lot these days. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Learned about skid steers, all the things. I love that. I, you know, I think every peri- parent worries to a certain degree. I, I know that God doesn't even want us to do that, but um, 
Uh, how do you know whether we've got a chronic problem? Mm, yes. I mean, again, if we're talking about from a statistical standpoint, one in three parents with women twice as likely as men. Mm. And so oh. I think we need to think about, do you find yourself worrying every so often? Or does this feel like it's not only just daily, but it's hourly that you feel like you're perseverating so not just thinking about it but you're circling the drain around and sure. around and you can't stop but can't stop thinking about it you you find i had a mom who said to me i'm trying so hard to be a good parent it's like i'm not even parenting mm. and yeah. that kind of distraction is that's what anxiety does to us that's good if we're as parents, as adults struggling with anxiety, we've already established that can be contagious throughout the household. Yes. What are some practical ways that we can create security? So, you know, hopefully it doesn't transfer to the kids, but if the kids are already dealing with anxiety so that it helps them out as well. Well, I would definitely say that the number one thing you can do for a parent as a parent for your kids anxiety is to deal with your own. Mm. And it's it's why I wrote this book and not just a book about how to help your kids. But I feel like when our anxiety is going unchecked, kids can't help but absorb it. And they're often like thermometers on the outsides of our households where we're seeing what's going on based on their behavior. And so, I mean, I think for you to do your own work of the things that you know that are coping strategies yourself, like doing deep breathing, as silly as that sounds, the things that we would consider mindfulness. So stopping in the moment. And in fact, I love when families have code words. I think that's one of the best things we can do is have some kind of word that that just the family knows. So you say, when you can tell everybody's amygdalas are getting tripped, that you say, watermelon or whatever the word is. And that means we're going to pause and we're all going to separate and we're going to take some deep breaths and we're going to come back from what's going on right now and have a conversation when we're in a calmer place. And so a code word, I think, is one of the best things. And then really to have some practices you do regularly. Square breathing is one of my favorites where we basically draw a square on our leg and breathe as we're doing it. So the first line, we would breathe in for four seconds, pause in the corner, breathe out for four seconds, pause in the corner, in for four seconds, pause in the corner, out for four seconds, pause in the corner. 20 seconds of deep breathing begins the process of resetting the amygdala. And so when we can separate and do that, what's happening is that the blood vessels in our brain are dilating and it's shifting blood flow back to the prefrontal cortex. And so really, until we calm our bodies down, we're not going to be able to do anything else. We're not going to be able to have a helpful conversation. And so I think in that moment, pausing, going back, doing some work ourselves, and then coming back and having an important conversation is probably a better pathway. <laughs> that sounds like uh, good advice for parents, friends, family. Yeah, no kidding. Any Excuse of us. me, I'm going to reset my amygdala right now. And <laughs> <laughs> I yes. think everybody would. Yeah. Uh, Why are you drawing on your leg? <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I was told. Yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> you know, um, from my experience, I think one of the biggest areas of causing me to feel anxious as a parent is thinking I'm blowing it. Like, I, I I, just, I'm not enough for this kid. This kid's failing, and it's my responsibility. 
this kid's not succeeding and I've done something wrong. How? And that seems as I'm listening to you, I'm like, I think I'm recognizing um, angst feelings, you know, there that I'm I'm tripping up on. So, I mean, we're well-meaning, right? As parents, we want the best. And yet we get tripped up and then our kids get tripped up. Yes, yes. She's just smiling at me. (laughs) No, I I sat with a mom who said that in my office. I'd never met her before. And I love that she said this. She sat down and she said, I want you to tell me two things. Number one, that what I'm feeling is normal. And number two, I'm doing a good job as a parent. And that's exactly what you just said. And and I think we do think we're the only ones who are feeling this way. And I think that is the thing that makes every parent most anxious is I'm blowing it. Yeah. And again, if you're an anxious parent, I, one of our favorite tools from cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of the gold standard for dealing with anxiety, is called reframing. So I have some artwork beside me that has a black frame around it. If I popped off that black frame and put a gold frame around it, what you would see would look totally different. Different things would pop out about the painting. So reframing is taking a negative thought and doing the same with a positive thought. So instead of, I am blowing this all the time. Every other parent is doing better than I am to stop yourself in that moment. Maybe it's after you've said your code word and think, sissy said the reason that I'm anxious is because I'm trying so hard and I want to be a good parent, which means, in fact, I'm doing way better than I think I am. That is reframing. And and from a from a research standpoint, attachment parenting, you know, attachment theory is so much of what we study these days in terms of helping kids develop healthy self-esteem and all these different important characteristics. And one of the tenets of attachment therapy is that good parents get it right 50% of the time. Oh, that's what's needed for healthy (laughs) attachment. 50%. I mean, that's a great bar to go for. Yes. So you're wow. doing at least 50%. Every parent listening, for them to even be listening to this show is doing 50%. Okay. Yeah, a nice Christian way to put it is you can do a half-bottom job. There's another term that people use, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. um, so help me out with with this, Sissy. My, uh, we have a 14-year-old son. Uh, my daughter is 20. She's got diagnosed with multiple special needs. So we have a unique dynamic in my family. And my so, yeah. wife does, because of my daughter, really, she has PTSD and what happened to her and how it happened and everything. Uh, so she does deal with anxiety. I, I don't know that I'm really in a position to, I can't really cancel my wife. don't think that would go over very well. But my son right. is pretty anxious at times, especially it's like he'll come in and talk to us about something and he is ramped up. Um, mm. about this issue that really when we both look at it, it's not that big of an issue. How can you help triage in that situation or on the spot calm another person down like my like my 14-year-old? How do I get him to, on his own, keep that in check and realize what's going on? Yes, I love that you're asking that. And, you know, I have a, a colleague named David Thomas, and he and I do our podcast together and write together a lot. And he says, by the way, that the two hardest ages for boys are four and 14. Really? So you're right there. Yeah, wow. isn't that interesting? Congratulations. Okay. Yes. I know. I'm sorry to tell you that, wow. but maybe that helps you feel like you're not the only one. So just one more year. <laughs> one more year. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And, you know, I think with kids who are anxious, really where we always want to start, I mean, 
as we talked about, anxiety is contagious. And so I don't know if y'all feel that sometimes, but I know when I'm sitting in the room with someone really anxious, I tend to get more anxious Mm -hmm. and I find myself breathing faster and tensing up my shoulders. And so I think when, when he walks in the door and you can see it on his face, read it on him that he's really anxious. I think for you and your wife, both internally to take some deep breaths and Mm -hmm. think, okay, we gotta, we gotta steer the ship and being the calm right now. So he can borrow your calm. I love that phrase. He can borrow your calm in that moment. That's good. And I would say that often kids get bigger if they feel like we're not hearing them. And so if any of you all have ever been to marriage counseling, you know, it feels so silly when the marriage counselor says, I want you to do some reflective listening and say back to your spouse exactly what they just said to you. What I'm hearing you say is blank. And we do that once and all of a sudden we think, oh, wow, I feel heard. This helped me so much. You know, it's so silly. But I think in that moment for you and your wife to calm yourselves down and then say, man, that sounds tough. I can't imagine what that was like. You know what? I would be nervous about having to make a speech in front of my class too. Or asking a girl to homecoming or whatever it is in that moment to validate. I would always start with validating their emotions and offering empathy. And then my favorite formula with kids, I was going to say adolescents primarily, but I think kids of all ages is to start with empathy and move toward questions. Because when we're anxious, we're so often fixing it for them rather than that sounds really tough. What do you think would help? Or what do you want to do about that? Or you are so smart. I can't even wait to hear what you've been thinking about that you want to do next. Or what do you feel like God would want you to do in this moment? Because we are all of a sudden saying, not only I believe in you, but I see you as capable. And kids who are anxious feel anything but capable. Mm -hmm. And so when we can remind them of that, they're learning some problem solving in the process. Uh, I've heard it said the further you get from this point in time, whether you're looking back or looking forward, the higher your anxiety. Is that something you agree with? Do you think that's a true statement? Yes, I've never heard that. And I think that's so true. And what I have read in research is that anxiety resides in the past or the future, not in the present. Yeah. So you just nailed it in a different way. And and that's why another tool that we talk a lot about with kids and with grownups, too, are, are what are called grounding techniques. And it's remember when we talked about square breathing, drawing the square on your leg is because anything sensory related is grounding in the moment. So if you have to focus on what's going on in the present, it's pulling you out of the anxiety. So Like with kids, if you had a kid and you're driving to school and they have that speech they're afraid of, then I would say, hey, buddy, let's take three deep breaths together. Now, this is our favorite grounding game. Now we're going to play the five, four, three, two, one game. I want you to tell me five things you see. Now tell me four things you hear. Now tell me three things you feel, not emotionally, but from a tactile sense. Now tell me two things you smell and one thing you taste. And if I were to have all of you do that right now, all of us who are on this call, we have to focus in the moment. And so you can't be thinking about past and future like you were talking about. So anything grounding is going to be really helpful for us. That's good. I like that. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's a very good tip. Now I want to taste something. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Would you say that if we look at the, the hurts the dark places we've experienced in our past, 
we mix it with the pressures that we're currently under, that there's a pretty big chance that could impact our future. And how do we go about, you know, some other practical tips for undoing that recipe, so to speak, to to get rid of that anxiety? Yes, that is definitely a recipe for anxiety. And I think a lot of where it's coming from, like that mom I mentioned who said, well, I was anxious when I was growing up. And I know that's what's going on with my daughter. And it's why she's struggling with friends. And honestly, the daughter was very overly confident and unaware socially. Oh. And that was why she was struggling, which was fascinating. And and I think until we deal with some of what we grew up with and how our parents handled our fears or our emotions, what we talked about around the dinner table. We have RaisingBoysAndGirls.com is our website and we have a downloadable feelings chart on the website because truth be told, I wish every family had a feelings chart they were passing around the dinner table at least once a week, if not every day and saying, I want you to pick three things you felt today. Because part of where I think we've gotten off the rails a little bit as grownups now is we weren't talking. I mean, I wouldn't pass in a feeling straight around my dinner table or uh, any of that. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Nope. We weren't talking about that stuff. And I will sit with parents who are, their anxiety is palpable in the room. And I'll say, tell me about your family history. Did you grow up? Were your parents anxious when you were growing up? And they'll say, I don't have a clue. We weren't talking about it. And so... Going back to the past, I think, is where we want to start, which is why one of my favorite, I mean, obviously, I believe in counseling significantly as a counselor myself, but I think journaling is a really important thing to do. You know, why Mm. am I anxious today? Because often, as we're talking about anxiety, you all, and how conscientious and try hard and bright everyone who has anxiety is, when I trace it back with kids and families, with kids, often there's something sad about when they tend towards being more anxious. With parents, I think often there's something hard going on in our lives individually that's making us more anxious in a specific season. So it's not even about the fact that our kids are coming up against exams. It's about the fact that my mom's really sick and I'm watching her struggle. And so I am looping and looping over my kid's science exam when it's not about that anyway. One of the things I read that I thought was fascinating in the research was that anxiety is always searching for context. So it's already happening inside of us. And it's like this radar just looking for something to attach to. And so the more we go back, the more we deal with what's underneath it, the better off we and our kids are going to be. Just absorbing all of this, you know, as we're working towards a conclusion here, I was interested to read your advice to parents to let go of the bottom 20%. How does that look? Mm-hmm. What is, how does that play out? Well, in the book, I have a whole chapter where I talk about the ways that anxiety impacts us the most. Anxiety mm-hmm. makes us angry. Anxiety makes us lose our warmth sometimes and our joy. And anxiety makes us micromanage as one of those. And I am anxious. I'm a type A personality. I'm an Enneagram one, if any of y'all are Enneagram people. And so I, when I'm anxious, I get a whole lot done, but it also means I micromanage and I do not see detail. And so I, I run a summer camp for the kids that are in counseling with us. And when I walk outside, I don't, I see everything that is wrong before I see what's right. I see the things that weren't done before I see what was done, which makes me sometimes a hard boss to have. But it means I just don't see any detail either. And I think parents are often struggling in the same way. And so everything becomes significant. Everything becomes something to battle over 
or something for me to harangue them about, to go back to your word. <laughs> you know, I can end up nagging and nagging and nagging without meaning to. And, and when we're anxious as grownups, I think we're really intense. And intensity makes kids more anxious. When they read that on us, that's how it impacts them. And so I will say to parents often, I want you to pick the 10 things that you're battling with your kids the most over. What are the 10 things you find yourself talking about the most? And I want you to let the bottom 20% go. Pick the two things that matter the least and stop talking about them. And I hope I'm saying that graciously, but I really do mean that because we end up fighting them over everything to the detriment of our relationship. That's good. Not everything is the same level of importance. And when you're ramped up and anxious, it's all the same. Um, Yes. Yeah. (laughs) How do you know when your kids should see a counselor? Uh, Mm. You know, I I mentioned our son and at times he's like, I don't like school at all. I don't even want to be there and stuff like that. Although this year he's like, oh, you know, it's better. But, you know, I I don't want a knee jerk, but I'm lying. When when is a good time to notice that maybe this would be a good idea? Well, I. I mean, I think depending on their age, I'm having more and more kids who tell their parents they want to see somebody. So I think you could ask them. I think it's so cool when it's a kid's suggestion. Um, But I would say when you try some really practical things at home, again, it's why I have written now four books about anxiety. Is it four? Yeah, I think it's four. Um, (laughs) and, And my friend David Thomas has a great book called Raising Emotionally Strong Boys with a lot of practical things. I think when you try suggestions from a voice that you trust in yeah. this world, and it feels like they're not working, then that's when I would say, okay, this is bigger than maybe what we can do at home, and we need another voice. But I think I had a, a parent who said to me that she brought her daughter in for the first time. She said, my daughter did not want to come. And so I said to her, okay, here's the deal. As your parents, our job is to build your team. We have people who are on your team for your medical life, and they're helping us with changes going on in your body. We have people on your team for your brain that are your teachers that are helping us academically. Of course, we're going to have people on your emotional team because that's the, one of the most important parts of who you are. And that's what these counselors are going to be. We're not going to see them every week for the rest of your life. But I want you to have somebody in your back pocket that if things get tough, this is who we call. Mm. Isn't that a beautiful, healthy that's perspective good. on yeah, it? Yeah, I like that. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, again, what you, you mentioned a website. What's that website again that we can go to? Raisingboysandgirls.com. Raisingboysandgirls.com. All right. Yes. And we also try to put out as much helpful information as we can on Instagram. And I have an account, Sissy Goff, and then I do one with David called Raising Boys and Girls. So those are places you can find us too. Awesome. Love and it. you have a podcast. What's the podcast? Yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Raising Boys and Girls. Raising Boys and Girls podcast. All right. So it's worry-free parent living in confidence so your kids can too. Sissy Goff, thank you so much. Really appreciate, appreciate your time. Oh, it's been great to get to talk with you all. I'm so glad. So much Same to here. take in. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Wow. Thanks, you Thank guys. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast, heard on Family Life Radio. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, thank you.